Hallelujah. Coming back into Proverbs chapter 25, starting in verse number 19. The confidence right here that the, the writer of this book of Proverbs is talking about is when you begin to hope in someone or something. He says here in verse 20, in, in, in chapter 25, verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. I don't know when the last time you put your confidence in an unfaithful man was, but every time you put your faith in an unfaithful man, it never ended up right. But what he's saying here is even worse than that is confidence in a trouble time. You ever tried to count on somebody that you can't count on, but when you really needed them? That's when you really get let down. That's when you really get hurt. That's when you really get that inflicted pain in the soul. And, and he's saying here that this confidence in that troubled time is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. It looks normal on the outside. And, a, and, and an unfaithful person looks normal on the outside. In fact, they might even convince you to trust them this time. They might even beg you to trust them. They might, they might even just give you all kinds of reasons for why you can trust them. But an unfaithful person is an unfaithful person. And I've seen that happen so many times. I've seen people uh, get together in a marriage in an unholy way. I've seen people... Uh, cheat on their spouses, this one cheat on this one, and this one cheat on that one, and they make their own home, right? They, you can't get married in the church you was at when you cheated on your spouse. You can't do that. you got to go across town. They'll accept you across town. You get married across town. But you know what? Those relationships never work either. Why? Because you're unfaithful. Unfaithful people will always be unfaithful until they get saved and they become faithful when God saves them and they get born again by the Spirit of God and they begin to walk in the Spirit of God. Unfaithful people will always be unfaithful until God changes them or unless God changes them. But oftentimes we will uh, willingly or unwillingly or wittingly or unwittingly put our faith in people that we shouldn't. That we shouldn't. And any time that you've seen things happen in the church, you've seen uh, church leaders fall. And you've seen half the church leave because their, their faith had begun to get placed in a man. In a man. Well, your faith should be in a man, the man Christ Jesus, but not any other man. Hallelujah. God, God gave us Jesus to be the mediator between him and us. And that is the only one we're supposed to put our faith and our trust in. Not in men, not in methods, and not in any other thing, not in denominations, not even in yourself. You see, a lot of times if you begin to put your faith in people, what will happen in the church is what we call church hurt. Church hurt is, is a hurt like no other, but it's when people hurt you in the church, you've oftentimes had your faith or your confidence misplaced or misdirected. You've begun to put confidence in your ability or in your title or in how people use you or treat you or your uh, ability to do things in the church. But if you put your faith and your confidence in you or your ability or your church or how people treat you or how people love you or lump you or like you, you'll get let down. Church hurt will come. 
Church hurt will come. And, and not only in the church, but it's also for those in the world. Those in the world, they begin to think highly of themselves when people clap for them. And they begin to think lowly of themselves when nobody calls them or texts them or writes them a letter. And nobody congratulates them. They begin to think low of themselves. Well, you know what we need to do? We need to take our eyes off of us. And we need to put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. Your worth and who you are is not dependent on what you think about yourself. No matter what a self-help guru has told you. Your worth has been determined by Jesus Christ. Because he said he loved you while you were yet a sinner. While you were yet stuck in your sin while you were yet in bondage while you were yet in rebellion he loved you so much that he went to the cross for you and died for you and rose from the dead declaring his deity this is the truth of the lord jesus christ our confidence, as we said earlier, if you put your confidence in a false teacher or a false system, even the world religions, even an interfaith movement, you'll get hurt. You'll put your faith in those things, or you could even put your faith in denominations. You can put your faith in systems that men create. And I want you to know that even in denominations, people will put their faith in systems that men create. How do you know when people are misplacing their faith? When all they think about is how big the church is, how many people go there. Well, you know what? That's what denominations are concerned with. That's what men is concerned with. That's what flesh is concerned with. God's not so much concerned about growing in numbers, but growing in holiness, growing in faith growing in the spirit of God and God wants to know are you growing in holiness today are you growing in spirit today are you growing in your faith today God wants to know if you're going backwards or going forwards there is no neutral in God there is no gray area in God you're either in the black area or the white area you're either in the holy area or the unholy area you're either saved or you're lost you're either born again or you're still in your sin you're either on your way to heaven or on your way to hell you're either filled with the holy ghost or you're running on e you're either walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit but there is no in the middle God said that if you were lukewarm, he would spew you out of his mouth. He would rather you be hot or cold. But those that try to live in the middle, riding the fence, will get spit out of the mouth of God. And so many times we try to stay right there in the middle. We don't try to get too far to the left and we try to not get too far to the right. And what we end up doing is falling flat on our face. And God is not going to be mocked. If we try, like everybody else has tried, to live right there in the middle, we'll find the same result. Because as we often say, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he ever spewed anybody out of his mouth for being lukewarm, well, guess what, honey? He'll spew you out too. That's what he'll do. God's no respecter of persons. That's a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Depends on how and where your faith is today. Now what we see here is that this, this faith in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble will cause pain. 
And we went into how if you begin to get it wrapped up in false teachings, it's going to hurt you. There's a time of trouble that a false teacher can't lead you out of. There's things that your soul will go into that a false teacher can't lead you out of. There's darkness that may come upon you that a false teacher can't lead you out of. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can lead you out of darkness. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can break the bondage that's on you. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can break the chains that afflict you and rebuke the demons that torment you and remove the enemy from your life. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring peace to a troubled soul. A false teacher can't do that. And so what we need to do is make sure that we're not being misled. We need to make sure that our faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, there's another portion of that that I want to get onto. Sometimes it may not even be a false teacher. You may not be wrapped up with the Branch Davidians. You may not be wrapped up with the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons or the Freemasons or any other false teaching. You, you may not be wrapped up in that, but you know what you might be wrapped up in? You might be wrapped up in yourself. The, one of the last things that you'll want to do and one of the first things the devil will do is try to get you to place your confidence in you. Now, you may not verbalize it, you may not say it, but what you'll do is you'll measure your standing in God with how you feel and what you've done. And what you've just done is you've misplaced your faith. You've done put your confidence in an unfaithful man, because I promise you, ain't one of us can stand here today and say we've been faithful to God all our lives. We've been unfaithful. And if you begin to judge yourself by your own ability, you're setting yourself up for a fall. We have to depend on God. We have to depend on the ministry of the Spirit of God. We have to depend on what God did for us at Calvary for who we are and what we are in His eyes. Not our own selves, not our own ability, not what we've done for God lately, but what He's done for us lately. That's where our faith should rest. Our faith does not rest in what we've done. It rests in what He has done. When He said it was finished, He gave you a place. He gave you a target. He gave you a mark to put your faith in. When He said it's finished, that's where your faith is supposed to be finished. That's where it's supposed to be. That's where it's supposed to stand. That's where it's supposed to remain. Never to be removed from that place. On that cross, that's where our sins were placed. On that cross, that's where God died in the flesh for our sins. And on that cross, He rose victorious three days later. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, listen to this. If you'll, if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, Apostle Paul gets in on this action. If you, if you begin to place your confidence in your own flesh, your own ability, your own learning, your own law-keeping, you will soon find out that your flesh... Your flesh will turn you over to the devil. Your flesh will turn you over to a tormenting spirit, a taunting demon. What you'll find is if you begin to get outside that blood covenant, if you begin to get outside the cross, if you begin to put your eyes on yourself, you're setting yourself up for a hard fall. In, in Philippians chapter 3, Beginning in verse number 1, Paul's writing to the church 
He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concession. Now, stop right there for a second. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Paul took the time to say the same thing again to the church. He said, it's not grievous for me to repeat myself for you. In other words, look, you in your flesh, you might get tired of listening to this, but I'm not tired of telling you. You ever been around somebody that they, they, they were grieved because they had to listen again and again and again and again? You ever been in that situation where you were listening to a teacher? And, oh, oh they're going to tell that one story again. Oh, great. They're going to tell that story again. And you know where they're going, and you know how they're going to get there. But Paul said, it's not grievous for me to tell you why, because that was his mission. His mission was to keep the church moving forward towards Jesus Christ and to make sure that they didn't take any misdirections, any missteps, that they didn't miss anything, that they didn't begin to put their faith on themselves or any other thing. That was the mission of the apostle, to make sure the church was founded on the living Christ. said so it's not grievous it might look it might be grievous for your flesh to listen to me (laughs) but it's not grievous for the spirit to minister so he said it's not grievous for me but for you it's safe beware of dogs be now are there literal dogs that paul was trying to warn them about it's not literal dogs it's those sniping words the dogs, those are the ones that, that, that snipe all the time. Somebody's got a comment. All the time, somebody's got a, something else they got to say. Something else they've got to add to or take away. They've always got to tell you. In other words, it's somebody that's always got to pop your balloon. It's somebody that's always got to, to make a snide comment or to try to move you off of where you're going. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now the concision there is talking about the Jews, is exactly who he's talking about. He says, for we are the circumcision. Now, the difference between the concision and the circumcision is huge. Huge. The circumcision is that which has been set apart for God. The circumcision is that which is God's, that which has been sanctified, that which has been consecrated, that which has been removed from the normal, that which has been removed from the flesh, that which has been removed from the world and has been set apart, sanctified for a special and holy purpose for God. That's who we are. And we didn't get there because we earned it. We didn't get there because we worked hard enough. We didn't get there because we finally memorized something. We didn't get there because we put enough money in the offering plate. We didn't get there because we go to church on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday. We didn't get there because we got perfect attendance in Sunday school. We didn't get there because we served. We got there because God served us through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said he didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. He came to minister the gospel. He came to minister hope. He came to minister healing. He came to minister deliverance. And he came to minister salvation to all those that would believe on him. He came to minister. We don't get saved. We don't get born again. And we don't get set apart for that holy purpose because of our ability or our effort or who we are, but who He is. Who He is. He says, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, listen to this, no confidence in the flesh. You see, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble will hurt you. And if you put confidence in your flesh, it'll hurt you. What will happen is you'll begin to think that God loves you because you do this. And you'll begin to think that you're worthy because you do that. You'll begin to think that you're making it somewhere with God because of what you do. And the minute you begin to put your confidence in your flesh, the devil is setting you up for a fall. And I'm telling you right now, the devil is good at puffing people up. He's good at puffing them up. If you allow yourself to get puffed up by the flesh, the devil will be walking behind you, sending the right people beside you, telling you, Ooh, you was pretty today. Oh, you was, you got it today. He'll be puffing up that pride. He'll be puffing up that head. He'll be puffing up and puffing up those in the church. You put $20 in the offering plate, the devil will say, Ooh, good boy. Good boy. God loves you today for that you you go and you serve and you open the door the devil goes good boy good boy you, God owes you now God owes you now look God owes nobody nothing God is a debtor to none God doesn't need our $20 he owns the cattle on a thousand hills he doesn't need what we have He offers Himself to us. It's the other way around. And what we see in the church world is so many people ever being moved off of their hope being in Jesus and allowing the devil to puff up their pride and puff them up and puff them up. And what happens? The devil knows. If he can get you puffed up, you will soon fall. He may not trip you. You'll trip yourself. I just read you that verse. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble. That, you've put your confidence in you. You're not faithful. You might have been faithful for six months or 16 years, but there's points in times where we've messed it, where we've blown it. There's points in time where we've failed That's why we need the grace of God. That's why our hope can't be in ourselves. But if you allow the devil to puff you up, if you allow the devil to to sing sweet melodies in your ear about how beautiful your service to God is and how much God owes you for what you've done, you're going to fall. Now, the question is, Will you heed the warning of God 
and move your faith back to where it's supposed to be. Look, don't let your faith rest on you, on your ability, and what you do, and what you've done for God. Now, he's talking here about people, he, when, he's talking, when he's making this differentiation between the concision and the circumcision, he's making a differentiation between the law keepers, the Torah observers, the Yeshua club, and those that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit, those that have been born again. And we see the same thing going on in the world today, because there are still today, people who think that God owes them because they quote unquote observe the Torah you can't observe the Torah today there's no temple today there's no Levitical priesthood today there's no way that you can observe the Torah today but you can pretend it and the devil's ever so glad to let you pretend and puff you up and let that pride begin to swell because the minute you realize that you failed God you'll fall you'll fall and so we see in the world today a, 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 a move, a move where people, good-hearted, good-willing people will move ever so slightly to begin to put their faith and their trust in the wrong thing, in the wrong thing. There are those that seek to Torahize the church, to Torahize the church. What does it mean to Torahize the church? It means that, that when the church begins to move back to the law instead of the one who fulfilled the law, the church is moving in the wrong direction. Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fill, fulfill it. And fulfill it, he did. Fulfill it, he did. Now, it says that we worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh that is not in my ability now does that mean that I just do whatever I want to do absolutely not absolutely not but what it does mean is that whatever I do I attribute it to God I don't take credit for anything. I don't take glory in anything. I don't receive the praises of men. I don't receive the adoration of men. What we do then is we rely on Jesus Christ. He says in verse 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh. Now Paul's talking here. He's telling the church. Though I, might have though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he had whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now he's about to run off some things right here. But you can get off in the world today, in the church world today, in the circus and the carnival that has, that has wrought itself in the church world today, and, and, and everybody thinks that they're doing good. Look, there's none good but God. There's none good but God. The best we can do is put our faith in Him and then let the Spirit stir us up. But it's not about what we do, it's about what He's done. But Paul said, look, if you think you can put your faith in your flesh, your confidence in your flesh, he's saying, I'm more. I'm more. Now that's a statement. That's a statement. But he was. Look what he says here. In verse number five, he says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, 
touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, when's the last time you met somebody that was blameless according to the law? It doesn't mean that Paul never sinned. It, when somebody's righteous according to the law, like Zechariah or somebody like that in the Old Testament, Noah, what it means is when they sinned, they knew what to do. It doesn't mean that they never sinned. It just means that when they sinned, they knew to take two turtle doves or to take a goat or to take a bull heifer. It just means that they knew what to do and when to do it, and they did it because their heart was for God. And that's the thing you need to know. It's what to do, how to do it, and when to do it if you have a heart for God. It's not that you never misstep, but you know what you're supposed to do and when to do it and how to do it. That's what you need to know. That's what we all need to know. Now watch, watch what he says here. Now I want you to just, I want to point out one thing just as, as a bystander. I just want you to see, there's a fancy word for you, he bifurcates. That means he separates two things. He separates being a Jew, being a Pharisee, and the church. So that way you know that, the, the, that there's a separation there. The people of God of Israel are Israel. The people of God of the church are the church. It's not the same. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. God is, God's going to turn his attention back to Israel when the church gets raptured out. Okay? So don't let people mislead you on that. But God will turn his attention back to Israel, but for right now there's a bifurcation. You see it right there. He was a Pharisee. He had zeal. He persecuted the church. And we know on the road to Damascus he got saved. This is the verse I wanted you to see, though. Verse 7. He said, but what things were gained to me? Now, what the, what's the gain there? Fleshly confidence. Those things that were gained to him. His, his ability to serve God. His ability to do for God. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In other words, if you're going to come to Christ, you're going to have to let go of who you are and what you can do. And look, that will never change. As long as you're in Christ, you'll never be able to pick up those sticks. You have to come to that place where you count everything lost for Christ. And tomorrow, you count everything lost for Christ. And the next day, you count everything lost for Christ. And the next day, guess what? You count everything lost for Christ. There's never going to be a day if you're a child of God, if you're going to grow in godliness, if you're going to grow in holiness, if the Spirit of God's going to grow inside you, there's never going to be a day that you're not supposed to count all loss for Christ. He is the prize of our soul. We should never allow our flesh to rise up because it'll soon sink the ship. The minute that we begin to put our faith in other things, and I've seen it, I've been there, I grew up that way. I knew that whenever I sinned, I should put an extra $20 in the offering plate. When I wasn't living right, I should give more. And, and, and then I got, and then I saw other, I have some other friends, and they, you, if you give more, you get more. It don't matter how you're living, don't matter if you're connected to God, you just give more, God will give you more. 
You can't outgive God. Well, no, you can't because he gave you Jesus. He trumped everything right there. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't need our $20. What God desires is our surrender. God desires that we no longer place confidence in our flesh. Pastor, you know nobody's going to give any money if you hoop and holler about that. I don't care about that. God's a provider. God's a sustainer. If God's in it, he's in it. You don't have to get on the radio and beg people for money. You don't have to get, you know, oh, 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 we need 10 people to give $10 in this 10 hours. You don't need to do none of that. If God's in it, he's in it. You don't have to ask nobody for nothing if God's in it. God will make sure that you got what you need. And you know what? If ministry should operate that way, guess what? We should too. God knows what you need. God knows what ministries need. There's not one sparrow that falls that God don't know about. God don't know if it's a little weak on that one side, needs some help at that wing. That wing got a little gimp in it. God knows if he needs to send some wind to just give it a little bit of boost of air. And God knows when you have needs. God knows when you have needs. What he's looking for is your faith. He's looking for your confidence. He's looking for your surrender at the feet of Jesus. He's looking for you to stop resting and trusting in yourself and what you have and don't have. And they got this, and I didn't get that. The church sounds like kids, you know, fighting over. Well, they got two, they got two suckers. I only got a peppermint. But God's looking, God's looking for those that will release, release their flesh. Count all as loss for Christ and hold to Him steadfast all the way to the end. Let me show you that. Let me show you that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I'll show you that. Hebrews chapter number 3. Now over here, we see this, this is a beautiful passage here. In verse number 12 of Hebrews chapter 3, he says, take heed, brethren. Now, since you're a theologian, would you ask yourself, who does he mean? Who's he talking to when he says brethren? Is he talking to the world? If he says, if he's calling somebody brethren... I probably would think he's talking to the church of Jesus Christ. I would believe he's talking to saved folks. Look what he says. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Hold up. Full stop. This done rocked the theological boat of so many once saved, always saved folks. How can you go from being a brethren to having an evil heart of unbelief? What happened? They got off in the same vein, the same walk that Israel got into when God brought them out of Egypt. You see, God's love for Israel drew them out of Egypt. He loved them out of there. Did he not? It was his people. And when they began to cry, he came. 
He sent Moses and he empowered Moses to bring deliverance to his people. His love brought them out. He came. The Spirit brought them out. But you know, only two of them went in the promised land. Two. His love brought them out, but his love didn't get them in. Think about that one. Scratch your noggin on that one. His love brought them out, but his love didn't bring them in. Why? He was looking for their faith. He was looking for where their confidence was. He was looking for something in them. And two, count them, two, Joshua and Caleb was the only ones out of all of them that he brought out that got to go in. Many were brought out. Few were brought in. What says the church? What says the church? Many are called. Few are chosen. Think about it. Think about it. Is there an evil heart of unbelief in the church today? Don't look to the left or to the right on that one. But is there an evil heart in the church today? An evil heart of unbelief? Has the church begun to put their faith in programs? Has the church begun to put their faith in building programs? Helping society? What they do? How they do it? And how many parachurches they can create? Well, it is possible for a brethren to get an evil heart of unbelief. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have said it. It's right there in your Bible. Now, look what he says. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How about that? I don't want to depart from God. I don't want to depart from God. But do you know who wants you to depart from God? The devil. And every demon that he has. He wants you to put your faith in you. In, you, in how you feel. How you fit in. How people like you. How things respond to you. How things are going. He wants you to begin to put your faith in the process. He wants you to put your faith in the process. It's not going good. God must not love me. Oswald Chambers, a man of God who died on the battlefield, that man of God, he said that faith is trusting God's character even when you can't see how something's going to happen. Do you know God's good? Do you know He loves you? Do you belong to Him? Then trust His character. Even when you can't see five feet in front of you because it's so dark and the fog is so thick, walk by faith, not by sight, and God will bless you. God will bring you through. It may not feel it, it may not look like it, but you can trust who your God is because He's good. Now, it says that... that there's in, in many of them, he said, take heed. That means uh, when, when the Bible says that you should take heed, guess what? He means you really need to pay attention. 
If, if they said, hey, brother, take heed, somebody buried a, 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 somebody buried a landmine out there by your car, I guess you'd probably be tiptoeing to your car. I guess you'd be watching real close where you stepped. Take heed, brother, because somebody's out to get you. You'd be looking over, your, you'd be looking this way and that way. Take heed, brother, I saw somebody snooping around the window of your house yesterday. Boy, you'd be out there with your gun or something. You'd be doing something. When, the, when, when somebody says take heed and they tell you something about your flesh, you perk up, you respond. But when the Spirit says take heed, how do you respond? Because if it's possible for 99.9% of Israel to not go into the promised land because of unbelief, it's possible for us too. If it's possible that they begin to put their faith or their confidence in something else, it's possible for you too. Well, I don't like all this manna. I want some quail. We used to eat better in Egypt. Moses don't know where he's taking us. I'm thirsty. How long is this journey going to be? He's been up there on that mountain for too long. See, we, we, there's the dogs going to the sniping. There's the dogs going into the barking. There's the dogs beginning to plant those seeds of doubt and confusion in the bride of Christ. And even from the beginning, I want you to see it was like 99.9% .9 of Israel that didn't get to go into the promised land, even though love brought them out, love didn't bring them in. Unbelief kept them out. And what do we mean by unbelief? We mean misplaced confidence or misplaced faith. Now, i got to get somewhere, so let's continue in here. It says in verse 13, But exhort one another daily. Look to your left or to your right. You can't do that in a home church. Hello. You can't do that in a home church. Hello. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Hebrews chapter 10. Can't do that in a home church. Well, the early church met at home, pastor. Yeah, because church was illegal. If it's illegal in America this year, guess what? We'll be meeting in homes or pastors or prisons. But we still going to meet. We still going to crawl out of bed and give God glory on Sunday morning. Even if we got to shout to each other from across the prison cell. Cell block one to cell block four, come in. Praise God, it's Sunday morning. The church is going to gather together somehow, some way, always has, and always will until the Lord brings us out of this place. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to this. For we are made partakers. We are made partakers. We are made partakers of Christ if, big word there, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. How are we made partakers? Holding fast to the confidence of what? Of how you got into this relationship with God? No, 
of what you do for God? No. On how you've served God lately? No. On how the church treats you? No. On does the pastor call you on your birthday? No. <laughs> what got you in this? Faith. Faith in what Jesus did for you at Calvary. And if you'll hold steadfast to that, it don't matter if pastors call you or not. It don't matter if churches like you or not. It don't matter if you serve or not. It don't matter if you're used or not used. If you're liked or lumped. It don't matter if people love you or overlook you. It don't matter if people remember you. Put your name in bright lights. Or if they don't even remember your name. Forget your face. It won't matter why. Because God said you matter at Calvary. That's how you got saved. And God's telling you to keep your faith anchored on that fact. Keep your faith anchored on that fact. That at Calvary, God bought you. Hold fast to that. Stay steadfast on that. Let your confidence, let your confidence begin to soar every day. You should be studying, praying to know what? To know what? To know Christ more. To know Christ more. To know Christ more. Now let me show you one more passage in Hebrews chapter 10. If you'll just go back with me over there to chapter 10, verse number 35. Hebrews 10, verse 35. Even, listen, even the best, even the best of what we are, even the best of what we are must be released to God. Remember when Paul said that, that, that he counted all as lost for Christ? You can't receive anything from God until you've emptied all you. Even the best of you. Pastor, you remember that one time I put an extra $20 in the offering plate? Well, actually, no, I don't because I don't know who gives what in our church. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Those things must be released. The good that you've done for God, the service that you've rendered toward God must be released. Otherwise, you'll begin to prop yourself up on a faulty foundation. Listen well. If I stand before God because, well, I've done this and I've done that for you, I'm on shaky ground. And you will be too. See, we don't stand before God because we put, look, look, I put extra in there today, or I did extra today. Pastor only asked me to, to, to serve in children's church, but I also uh, began to do the, the street ministry, or I began to open the doors for me. That's good. That's great. I'm shouting hallelujah. We need more workers. I'm not trying to get you to not work. But what I'm trying to do is get you to see and realize that you're supposed to count that for loss. Don't stand on it. It's sinking sand. It's faulty ground. It'll let you down and hurt you in the process. And you might not recover. If you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, that's a serious condition. So he says here in verse 35, 
Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. What's our confidence in? Our confidence is in the cross. Our confidence is in the blood of the Lamb. Our confidence is in being born again by faith. By grace you are saved through faith, right? That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. It's by faith. By faith you're saved and by faith you hold your confidence. Look what he says. Cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. There's that word. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what Job realized he needed. And you need it too. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Somebody say hallelujah right there. He that shall come will come and he won't tarry. When the Lord comes back, he's coming back lickety split, as we used to say. Real quick. Faster than the blinking of an eye. The Lord, he's going to split that, the sky wide open. It's going to be rolled back like a scroll, like the song says. The Lord's going to descend. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. He that shall come will come. He won't tarry. When he's here, he'll be here. And look what he says here. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall, not, shall have no pleasure in him. Now the just shall live by faith, meaning that you continually cast away everything you count all as loss for Christ. Philippians 3, verse 7, that's your reference. We already read it. Living, the just living by faith means that you're not standing where you are because of anything you've done. But you've counted all loss for Christ daily. You've counted all loss for Christ daily. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Last verse. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Those that draw back, what do they go to? Perdition. There are some that draw back to perdition. Those that put their faith in people or places or programs. Those that put their faith and their trust in the way things appear. The process of how things going. What do I mean by process? Well, I started, I started doing this, I started doing that, and everything went bad. Pastor, I'm never doing that again. Where's your faith? Faith will take you through the tribulations that the world has. The world has tribulation for you. If you try to live without tribulation, you're trying to live without God. Because Jesus said in this life, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome it. You're going to have tribulation in this life. We try to live a life of ease. God didn't try to do that. 
If God didn't want you to have any trouble in life, he would take you out. We think, oh, well, you know, it, 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 it's, it's better, um, you know, that, that we do this and we do that. No, it's not. No, it's not. God doesn't need those things. God needs your heart. He needs your surrender. He's looking for your faith. And when, look at this verse, it says that they believe, they, they draw back unto perdition. But of them that believe, look, we are not of them who draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That means that we, we grab hold of the Lord Jesus and we don't let go. We grab hold of the Lord Jesus and we don't let go. When, when God, look, when God begins to do something in people, first thing he does is get them to look away from their flesh. But when the devil begins to work in people, the first thing he does is get them to focus on flesh. And there's many facets to that. The flesh gets awfully prideful, but the flesh also gets overly sensitive. The flesh gets overly sensitive. You only said hi to me once. You said hi to them twice. I knew you loved them more than me. Flesh can get really silly, really sideways, really quick. But you know the devil, the whisperer, the liar. The liar from the beginning. You know he's working in people when people begin to, 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 to have their flesh lifted up. Lifted up. When you begin to put confidence in your ability and what you've done for God, you've set yourself up for failure. But when you put your confidence in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary and who he is, you've set yourself up for the Spirit of God. We are not of them that draw back to perdition, but those that believe to the saving of the soul. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Trust not in yourself. Count all as lost for Christ. And pray. And pray for His grace this evening. Lord, we bless You tonight. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace. And we thank You, Lord, for the Spirit of God that is at work even as we speak. Lord, I pray that You would communicate this message to Your people. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. That we not be misled by the devil. That we not place confidence even in our own selves. And we surely not place confidence in those false teachers and false teachings and false systems, but God, help us to not trust in our own ability, in our own flesh, but in you and in you alone. And God, I 